sisters, come together now, come together now. It's time to help each other out, help each other out. Welcome to the Sword Podcast. This is a platform for sisters to gather and have some empowering conversations. And in the process of these conversations, we help each other overcome some limiting beliefs. I want you to join the conversation. I appreciate your likes, subscribes, and comments. This podcast is sponsored by Stephanie Brown Coaching. If you have any limiting beliefs that are holding you back, feel free to contact the coach at sociatap.com forward slash Steph Brown MD. Okay, I'm going to share a little coaching secret with you. One of the ways that we can overcome our limiting beliefs is by revising our thoughts. With the source saying, we get to choose a new thought that expands us and helps us to rise. I don't know about you, but I can use all of the affirmation that I can get. With so much negativity in the world, I bet you can too. This week's source saying is, I make abundant choices today and in due season, I will reap the benefits. That's the source saying for this week. I make abundant choices today and in due season, I will reap the benefits. And our topic, getting into college during COVID, a chat with the expert. So my special guest is Tamara Baptiste. Tamara Baptiste Wallace is the founder and owner of the College Application Specialist. Founded in 2015, TCAS has guided students to admission to over 30 nationally recognized colleges and universities, including Harvard, MIT, Corn, Penn, Howard, Morehouse, Drexel, and the list goes on. Miss Tamara, as she's known to her students, uses her more than 20 years of management consulting, project management, and organizational change management experience to help students discover who they are, what their goals are, and what colleges would be the best fit socially, academically, and financially on the way to realizing their dreams. As a two-time engineering graduate of Cornell University, Tamara is especially adept at helping potential STEM majors lay out a path for a strong college application. From introducing freshmen and sophomores to the concepts of how high school success translates to college admission, guiding juniors to identify what schools are a good fit for them, and giving parents the tools to evaluate what they can afford, and coaching seniors to create and submit quality applications to set them apart. The College Application Specialist is here to reduce the stress of the college admissions process and provide the advice, tools, and guidance your family needs to succeed. Tamara is a member of the National Coalition of 100 Black Women, Northern Virginia Chapter, and the Junior League of Northern Virginia. She's an avid Washington Nationals fan, loves the arts, and is passionate about seeing women and girls pursue and thrive in STEM careers. She lives in Montgomery County, Maryland with her husband. I cannot wait to get into this topic. College admissions is a very stressful endeavor under normal circumstances, but even more so during the pandemic. So first, I always like to share, have my guests share their story so my audience can get to know you a little bit. So just tell us who you are and how you came to be an expert in this field. 
Sure. So I started this business maybe six years ago because I had a family member who was struggling with the college admissions process himself. And I look back on my own experience many, many years ago where I applied to something like 24 universities and I would never do that today because of the amount of work involved. And I thought to myself, boy, you know, let's save other people the kind of stress and frustration trying to apply to too many schools or schools that don't fit them. And, you know, with my first student, happened to be my nephew, his father and some other people like, oh, you really have a talent for this. You should you should figure this out. Like, <laughs> go do this. This might be your calling. And, you know, every time it's so funny, every time I am just like, oh, man, application season, because it's, it's, it's just as hard for me as it is for the kids. Sometimes it, God comes through and is like, nope, you're not giving up. This is your thing. This is your calling. You're going to do this. So six years in and my students have gained admission to something like 32, 35 universities across the country. My first batch graduated last year, which is now making me feel old. Um, (laughs) My second batch graduates this year and they're off doing wonderful things in the world. And what brings me the most joy is seeing students actually find their thing and thrive. And it all starts with a good fit um, at, at a college that is going to be the right fit for them. Yeah, I can see how fulfilling that would be to watch your students get into the right school and then flourish and thrive and go on to do great things. So since we are in the middle of a pandemic, what things are different about the college admission process? Are there any benefits that you see to being in the pandemic with regards to the application process or is it all doom and gloom? (laughs) Fortunately, it's not all doom and gloom, but that doesn't mean it's easy either. So there are some things that didn't change, like deadlines are still in place. Application fees are still in place. You still have to send your transcript in. You know, those types of things didn't change. But what did change is how many schools people have ended up applying to because most schools, um, at least 1,700 this past application season, went test optional. And Mm -hmm. because they went test optional, that in some ways removed a barrier for students who thought that they may not have been a candidate previously to an institution. Mm -hmm. On the flip side, that means that a lot more students apply to a lot more universities. There are some universities out there that literally saw a 100% increase in the number of applications they received. Wow. And that just you know, you see these single digit admissions rates, you know, and every year it's, oh, you know, Stanford, 3%, Harvard, 10%. Mm-hmm. And you wonder where that comes from. Well, it's it's kind of basic math. How many have applied, you know, divided by, or how many are accepted divided by how many applied. So if the denominator gets really, really big, you know, the number of admitted gets really, really small. And that's where these like single digit acceptance rates come from. So you can only imagine what they're going to look like this year, given the, you know, 10, 20 times increase in in applications that they've gotten in some places. So that's been the biggest benefit and drawback of the pandemic. I think because students weren't able to test, which is why a lot of the schools went test optional to begin with, or were at great risk being Mm -hmm. in a room for testing, it did take away some some of the pressure for students who never tested in the first place, right? That right. burden got lifted. For students who tested early in the process, like maybe December of 2019 or early January before everything shut down, who wanted to take it again, that's when things got really complicated, mm. right? Because this, this time last year, schools hadn't, I mean, 
nobody had thought about this. Schools were a little slow to go test optional. They had to make a decision really quickly. And you were stuck if you were a junior this time last year. Do I take it? Do I not take it? I had one student who signed up for it like five times and it got canceled and it just, it rocked her world. She finally got to take it in October, but then she ended up not using the score because try taking a four hour test in a pandemic with a mask on it. There's just, (laughs) it's just impossible. So that's been the the double-edged sword of the pandemic. On the other hand, like I said, a lot more students felt comfortable kind of shooting their shot. And if it was at a school that would be a good fit for them overall, Okay, go ahead. Yeah, I I really resonated with what you said about the single digit admissions. My alma mater is Duke and one of my classmates, her son applied to Duke, I think two years ago, you know, top student, top athlete, top everything and a legacy and he didn't get in. And she was just like, what is going on? But it's a reality. The, the schools are extremely competitive to get into. They are. And you said something there. So legacy admissions, which is when your parent or grandparent or a close family member in some schools has gone to that school that you're applying to, that's also become less of a factor overall schools have if you go to any information session most schools will tell you they do something called holistic admissions so they're looking at your whole application and in pandemic times the students have really gotten the advantage are ones that are full pay or that do early decision which basically are acknowledging that you're either close to full pay or can full pay and the students who are in that pool that need financial aid because of the finances of the pandemic, right? They're not necessarily at a disadvantage, but most schools are not need blind, which means that they consider Mm -hmm. your admissions without factoring whether you need financial aid or not. So if you're going to apply to a need aware school in this era, you know, schools are really managing how they put together their classes based on a number of factors and more so than in a lot of years, you know, financial aid is, is, is a tough game out there in terms uh-huh. of financial aid. So that's one of the things that students really need to be paying attention to as they put their list together. Okay. Well, now that you have terrified me, I'm, <laughs> <laughs> I may as well ask you this, this next question. And, and I really do appreciate you giving all of your, your time and your knowledge so freely. This is, this is like gold, what you're sharing. But I have an eighth grader and a ninth grader. And I am already terrified of the process, even before this conversation. They've attended some college fairs and other things like that, but they don't really have a clue about what college they want to go to or the differences between colleges. And I feel like by the time I was in ninth grade, I had an idea. I was sort of dreaming about my ideal school. So should I be worried or is this normal for eighth and ninth grade? So it's totally normal, but with a caveat. So the most important thing that eighth and ninth grade students really need to be focused on are their grades and making sure that they're doing the best that they can. Being remote has not been easy. Mm -hmm. It's taken a toll on us on so many dimensions. But, you know, a lot of students have not opted out of school, but opted out of turning in homework on time. Right. Mm -hmm. So so they find themselves with this, you know, bow wave of homework, like two days before the quarter ends. And they're just like, oh, my gosh, I'm not sure what to do. And then we get into grade recovery. Right. So 
it's it's not surprising that our students in the eighth and ninth grade and aren't necessarily figuring out now where they want to go to college or dreaming about that. But I would say for parents and students who are in that that grade level, now is the time to kind of explore without pressure. Mm-hmm. Right. So nobody's expecting you to go to college tomorrow. You've got a couple of years. You can sit down and start thinking about what do you envision a college experience to be like for you? Right. It's not what mom and dad thinks. It's where do you see yourself? And sometimes that takes like kind of getting out and maybe walking on some campuses to see what they're like. Um, Mm -hmm. I know it's a little different now because a lot of campuses don't have a lot of students on them, but can you just envision yourself there? Right. And then start poking around what colleges have things that you think you might want to study. And if you don't have a major choice yet in eighth or ninth grade, which is again, perfectly normal, what subjects do you like? Do some digging on what subjects do you like and what can you do with those subjects? People who like math, what do they go on to do? People who like science, what do they go on to do? People who like social studies, what do they go on to do? You know, research, your, you know, a couple of um, famous people. What did they do? What was their path? You know, how did they get, you know, what did they need to do to get there? What kind of jobs did they have? What kind of education did they have? And work backwards. I think in the eighth and ninth grade, your, your goal really is to do the best you can in school and start dreaming. But dream with a purpose, right? Mm -hmm. Dream with a purpose because what you don't want to do is go down the rabbit hole and just confuse yourself in terms of, oh, there's so many choices out there. There are a lot of choices, but again, in eighth and ninth grade, there's no pressure. Nobody's making you choose. So you can, you can think big thoughts and dream big dreams and still be okay. Well, you just lifted a huge weight off of me. I love that dream with no pressure. So if there's no pressure on them, that means there's no pressure on me. (laughs) And I do like the idea of them just starting to explore, you know, if we can't do a physical tour, maybe even some virtual tours and for them starting to research the people that they look up to and admire what path they took. I love that idea. So We'll definitely start doing more of that. So I really appreciate that. So if we talk about the 11th and 12th graders who who are in a very different situation than 8th and 9th graders, what advice would you give for 11th and 12th graders that you feel like had you known this, it would have been a game changer? So let's back up and talk about 12th graders because they are the closest to college. Most of the schools that we hear about every day, their admission, I'm sorry, their application dates have either passed or will pass really quickly, like in the next week and a half. So by the end of um, actually next week, because next week is March. (laughs) And if you're in that position, then you're going to be and you still haven't applied or you haven't figured out where you want to go yet, then you're probably looking at schools that offer rolling admissions mm-hmm. and rolling admissions means that they keep taking applications until their class is full. And there are ways that you can go online and look for schools that are rolling admissions or there are lists out there. So if you're in that in that position where you haven't applied to anything yet and you're just like, where am I going to go next year? That is an option, as is community college. It, it Community college is a wonderful option to start with and then transfer in the state of Maryland if you finish at a community college you can transfer into a state college by law 
Now you may not get into an LEP business like at Maryland, for example, unless you meet the criteria, but you will transfer to a four-year institution that's a state institution and you'll graduate. You can transfer as after your freshman year too, it's just a little harder. They're still going to ask for your SAT if you're transferring after a freshman. So if you're that person who wasn't quite happy with their SAT score, you might want to finish your AA and then transfer. If you're a junior this year, we have the opportunity still to do some planning. Okay, so you're not quite behind yet, but you're about to be behind in the next two weeks if you haven't started thinking about what schools that you actually want to apply to. And how do you narrow down that list? You do research with a purpose now. So Mm -hmm. the ninth grade's got to to dream without pressure. Oh, no, (laughs) you need to dream with a purpose. So you need to be narrowing down your list to schools that fit a profile that is going to get you the academics that you're looking for, that you're going to feel comfortable going to, and that your family can afford. And there are different ways to do that. There are things called net price calculators on websites to help you figure out which the average price for you to go to school is. But the academic and the social fit are going to take a little bit more work. You're going to have to do some internet searches, go to websites where students are actually talking about what it's like on campus. I always have my students go and look at the student newspapers because you can always see what's going on on a campus by, by looking at that. But If you're not thinking that way, you need to start thinking that way. A lot of students, it doesn't hit in for them until like August. And then they're trying to put together a list and apply to schools at the same time. And I'm guarantee you that's making your life a lot harder. The other thing I I would advise for juniors, and I know this one's gonna seem a little, Ms. Tamara, why do we wanna do that? The Common App, which is the app that over 900 colleges use to let students apply, their prompts actually came out this week. Usually it's a little later, but they only changed one of the prompts, so it came out this week. And all of my students, we start working on your essay over the summer. Uh, Working on your Common App essay over the summer is the best way to start attacking it because that's the one that's the most intimidating. It's the 650-worder. People are like, oh my gosh, how do I express myself in 650 words? It's not as hard as you think, but it is sometimes intimidating to talk about yourself, right? So practicing and starting to attack that over the summer frees you up to do the rest of the parts of your application come September, So you mean for a junior, that would be this summer. So this June. Okay. Summer 2021. So when I work with students, I usually say, you know, take June off because your brain still hurts. I understand we all need a break. And then we start up in July. Okay. And when do you start working with students? Do you generally start working with them at the beginning of their junior year or when do you start working with them? Ideally, I start working with students in their sophomore year. I feel like we need to give our sophomores some love. So our our sophomores, you know, so freshmen got to dream with, with no pressure. Sophomores need to start to be a little bit more focused, right? Mm -hmm. Sophomores have a challenge in that They're two years out from graduating. They still have some agency and some choices in what they take for the last two years of school. And they need to be thinking about what colleges are going to be looking for in them. So they need to be really strategic in their thinking about their class selection. And that's only going to be informed if they're doing some research with a purpose, right? Mm -hmm. Students that come to me in their junior year are also pretty well positioned. Um, We usually start in the fall of junior year. Starting in the spring, we've lost a little bit of time, but it's it's doable. Um, I do 
take some students that um, come to me as seniors, but those are few and far between. Usually it's sophomores and juniors that I start with. So all of the things that you described sound absolutely wonderful. I'm thinking, okay, well, now I know I need to have my kids work with you starting in their sophomore year. But what is the difference between what you do and what the college counselors at their high school do? Oh, I am so glad you asked that. So first, shout out to college and school counselors. You guys are awesome. We're there to supplement what they do. When I work with students and on the very first day when I meet with parents and students, I tell them, listen, I am not a replacement for your school counselor. There are certain things that your school counselor can do for you and has access to do access to that I am never going to be able to do. I don't have your transcript. I can't write your letter of recommendation. I can't work with your teachers to get them to get their letters of recommendation in. I can't. Um, and I don't contact colleges on your behalf if you're having issues or there are things that you want the counselor to communicate to them. That's not my role. My role is to help you first identify schools that are going to be a fit for you, like I said, ac academically, socially, and financially, and then work with you to create your application in such a way that showcases the best of you. So I work with you to find out how do you like to learn? What type of things are you into? What do you do after school? What do you do outside of school? Because who you are outside of school is just as important as who you are in school. What motivates you? What drives you? Basically, all those things that colleges want to know and come at asking you in these really weird and odd ways and then, <laughs> that sometimes are not happy to think about, right? Like, tell me about failure. Who wants to think about failure, right? <laughs> classic, classic question. We pull together your resume because I find pulling together a resume is the easiest way to help a student focus on this is everything I've done over the last four years, right? Because mm -hmm. if you ask them specific questions, you will get answers. If you just say, what have you done? They'll be like, I don't know. And sometimes they won't understand that certain things count. I can't tell you how many students will come to me and say, oh, I didn't know you wanted to know that, right? Right, right. <laughs> so I work with them on that. And come application, that's all sophomore and junior year. So we spend a lot of time together. We've built your list. We've had conversations with your parents about fit and why, why we think certain schools are better or worse. And then come application season, we start working on the actually application itself. So we would have thought about a strategy. Are you a student who wants to apply and can apply early decision or um, which is binding versus early admission? I'm in love with you, but I'm not sure I can afford you. Right. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, regular decision. Do we throw a couple rolling admission schools in that list? And if we do, boy, it's to our advantage to get those done sooner rather than later because rolling admissions, right? So we, we put together that type of strategy. And so when we're when you're a senior, we go into September with the strategy set. We work on these applications together. They do the writing. I do the reviewing. And ho hopefully by December, we're all done because my motto is nobody wants to have an unhappy holiday season. And if we're doing college applications <laughs> over the holidays, that's an unhappy holiday season. Yes, I agree. So here is the other question that I'm sure you get a thousand times. Okay. I know this year was a little bit different with COVID and some schools accept it without tests, but in normal times, should a student take the ACT, the SAT or both? 
and when should they take it? Okay, so the one question is awesome. So in normal times, and keep in mind if you are a current junior, that the list of schools that are test optional is still being formed. And it's mostly the same list that it was last year. Some people are just a little slower than others. In a normal year, I love my students to take the SAT for the first time early in their junior year. So uh, January through March timeframe. Some school systems offer it in the March, April timeframe in school. Some don't. So you might have to sign up for it by yourself. There is a fee involved unless you qualify for a fee waiver. Yet another thing a school counselor does that I do not do. But you want to take it at least the first time in the spring of your junior year because Here's the secret. Everybody takes it more than once. There, there are very few people that don't take it more than once. And what you don't want to do is be taking it for the first or second time September of senior year. Because guess what? Senior year, who wants to be taking the SAT in September when we're just get back to school? We're thinking about homecoming. We got stuff, right? We don't mm-hmm. want to be sitting here like, oh, man, I got to go do SAT prep. Nobody wants to do that. So that's that's the win. So give yourself enough time to take it twice and have that second time be no later than August of the summer before your senior year. In terms of which test, there are differences between the SAT and ACT in terms of content and how much time per question kind of breaks down. Really, the answer is which one is the easiest for you because some students find one better than the other. Taking both is really not necessary. Now, if you're taking both as a practice test to figure out which one is better for you, okay, fine. But taking it for real and registering for it, that's really not necessary. Find the one that's better for you and do that. I will say that if you've taken the PSAT, which students usually take in the fall of their sophomore year and then again a fall in their junior year once you've taken the PSAT you can create um, and link your PSAT account your college board account to Khan Academy that's K-H-A-N academy.org and they will customize um, test prep because they will look at all the answers you got wrong and say this is where you need to improve and need to study and to kind of design a curriculum for you online for you to go and practice. So if you're that student who took the PSAT back in 10th grade and you haven't done that yet, that's one way to prepare on your own to see, you know, the types of questions that you're going to get. But the best way to, to do it is to take a practice test and figure out which one you're more comfortable with. Great, great. I did not know that Khan Academy did that. I know that they're great at helping augment your math skills and things like that but I didn't know that they did that so that's good to know so here is the money question you've you've alluded to figuring out which school your family can afford but you know it's starting to seem like school is so expensive that what family can afford it at all It, it it's starting to feel a little bit unaffordable and people are even saying that college isn't necessary because it's it's unaffordable so what financial tips do you have about you know going to college and not going into debt Uh, or I mean you may have to go into debt but not going bankrupt I guess so there are a couple of layers to that question so when you're researching schools, so back to our eighth and ninth grader who are dreaming without pressure, right? <laughs> so your student comes to you and says, hey, mom, I want to go to this school and it's $75,000 a year. And you're like, 
okay, what do I do with that? What I was alluding to earlier are these things called net price calculators, and they're mandated by the government. There are these tools that give you a very high level estimate of what you can expect to pay for college. The best way to find them is to Google the name of the school and net price calculator, because they're very, very hard to find on a school's website. You just clicking through and finding it is difficult. That is one way to get a quick and dirty estimate. And it really is just an estimate. Your actual financial aid package really depends on a number of factors, but starts with you filling out the free application for federal student aid. That's the FAFSA. And FAFSA season, we're in it now. If you follow me on social media, I had a post last week that says submit the FAFSA now. Like that's the the tweet. (laughs) Submit it. Get it done. Because colleges have... um, priority deadlines for financial aid. And if you get your FAFSA in later, you're going to miss out on that priority, that priority designation. The other thing is that it's to your benefit to submit that form earlier rather than later. So if you have an upcoming senior, so rising seniors, when the form comes out this October, get it done by Thanksgiving. Um, And the reason for the first of all, again, nobody wants an unhappy holiday. If your kid is done and you're still wrestling with financial aid, unhappy holiday. Right. But but more to the point, um, the sooner you get it in, the sooner they'll start considering your package. And financial aid tends to be first come, first serve. And you don't want to be, you know, in the lesser pool because you waited till March 1st, even though they said you're still in the priority pool. So get the FAFSA done. Scholarships are another way. Now, Scholarships come in a couple different flavors, right? Scholarships can come from the school itself. Sometimes they are named scholarships, like such such a doubt scholarship and you got it. Or sometimes it's not technically a scholarship. It's a grant. It's still money you don't have to pay back. So I refer to that as free money. Mm-hmm. Grants usually don't come with stipulations in terms of GPA, but scholarships from schools do. So if you're that person who got a name scholarship, they'll tell you in your letter, congratulations, welcome, you've been admitted, we're giving you this awesome scholarship that's $20,000 a year, provided you maintain a 2.5 GPA, right? Mm -hmm. And it's the fine print that students often forget about because they're, they're really serious about that that GPA designation or whatever stipulation they put on the scholarship. So you really need to pay attention to this money is great. You don't have to pay it back, but it does come with strings. Finally, I feel like a lot of parents out there may, especially if you have a junior or a senior, may be wondering whether it's too late to start saving for college. It is never too late to start saving for college. Even if you're looking at um, going to a state school versus versus a private university, it is never too late to start putting money away. The way the FAFSA works is it looks at your taxes from two years ago. So your income from two years ago. Over time, the theory is your income is pretty steady. Now, 2020 kind of blew that out the water for a lot of folks. <laughs> and 2021, you know, we're all still kind of recovering. So um, if you're in that situation, particularly now, or you will be in that situation when your student applies in the fall, all you need to do is contact the, you know, file the FAFSA the way it is, um, And then contact the financial aid office immediately at each of the schools that your student has applied to and say, hey, you know, my FAFSA reflects X. This is the real situation. What documentation do I need to give you to prove um, that my income is not as high as it used to be? And it's not always because of dire circumstances. I mean, happy things like retirement happens all the time, right? So if you're retiring next year and your income is about to go down because you're retired, 
you need to be able to you need to talk to the financial aid office so that the forms that you fill out don't misrepresent unintentionally your actual financial position. That is great advice. I would have never thought about that. And what if you you make a decent living, you come from a, a two working parent household and you're a professional? Should you even bother with the FAFSA? I mean, is there any chance that your child will get financial aid? I am so glad you asked that question. So the FAFSA is not only used for figuring out your federal student aid, it's also used for, at a lot of universities, figuring out merit aid. So a lot of people, if you don't fill out the FAFSA, you're leaving yourself out of that that merit aid, grant aid pool that says, hey, my kid is awesome. Um, Here's an incentive to come to my university, right? Uh, Okay. So if you don't fill that out, most of those things you won't be considered for. Same thing with some of the scholarships that schools offer. You usually have to fill out the FAFSA. Now, there is another form for private universities. It's called the CSS profile. Um, so, for example, in the D.C. area, Georgetown, American state schools like UVA, College of William & Mary, um, the larger schools, they do require this extra Form And this extra form um, is put out by the same folks who brought you the SAT, so the College Board. Um, Mm -hmm. So if you have to do it, please talk to your kids so that you can um, link into their account. You don't have to start over. Um, But that form looks at a more comprehensive view of your finances. So it's asking you not just about your income from two years ago. It's asking you for your current asset profile. How much do you have in in you know in your 401k how much do you have in investment accounts how much do you have a house how much is it worth what kind of equity do you have in your house um it's looking at your expenses um so they still you know they're still not going to look at credit card debt and you know i have a I have two car notes as, oh, well, I can't afford college, but they are going to be looking at, are you paying for private school tuition? Do you have um, dependents other than your children that you're supporting? So like, are you in, are you supporting your mom or your dad or a grandparent? They're going to look at those types of things and take that holistically into account. And there's a slightly different methodology that they use when the CSS profile is um is requested. They they look at the stuff that comes from the FAFSA and they look at the things that come from the CSS profile and they make a determination. That was super, super helpful. I think I could ask you questions all day, but I don't want to do that because I want to make sure that we get to some other topics. The other thing that kind of comes to mind is that for me with my kids, I feel like with virtual school, they just lost a whole entire year. Like that they just lost a whole entire year. They lost the opportunity to meet their college counselor, to get to know that person, to have all of those intangibles that you get when you're in person. So how can they make up for it when they hopefully go back to in-person school next year? Again, shout out to school counselors who have been really holding it down, trying to connect with these kids in a virtual world. It is not easy. So there are a couple of things. Virtual The other silver lining of the pandemic, I neglected to mention this, is it's really forced colleges to think about how to engage with students in a virtual way. Mm -hmm. Right. Because students are there. That's their product. Like we need people to come here because this is how we generate revenue. So if we don't have any students, we don't have a university. So they've gotten a lot better at virtual tours. 
and live virtual tours like the virtual tours before used to be some experimental things like you know google glass or google goggles <laughs> back when that was a thing and now it's actually pretty cool like they have students doing these live stream virtual tours you can ask them questions a lot of students have found that doing the virtual information sessions is a little less intimidating right they can mm-hmm. they don't always have to be on camera they can you know ask questions in the chat and you know it's i can't tell you how many information sessions i've been to and it's all the parents asking the questions because the kids just they refuse <laughs> to ask guys got to ask questions so that's been a benefit of the pandemic like you know that that level of anonymity um mm-hmm. has kind of opened up the floodgates of some of those things um whether or not we're in person your your school counselor needs to be your bff your college counselor needs to be your bff through this i always tell my students never to assume that people know you want to go to college Mm-hmm. Um, if you don't tell them, they're not going to know. And that goes to that goes back to middle school. Right. If your counselors in middle school don't know that you really want to go to college or that you have an interest in college, you're at risk for not getting into like algebra in eighth grade, which mm-hmm. is you know the path to getting to calculus in 12th grade. Um, right. And those things matter. Right. So the more you communicate my especially in, with my high school students you know with my seniors we work a lot on self-advocacy closed mouths don't get fed now yes. there are some situations where yes you're still going to have to call him you know mom or dad or mom and dad to come and help you but there are plenty of situations that you can handle on your own you can ask your teacher for a recommendation you can follow up with them if it's not been done right mm-hmm. those aren't pleasant conversations all the time i can understand being nervous but you don't need somebody to intercede with you or for you to get those things done um i think the pandemic just because of the nature of you know we all have too much email has made that a little bit harder but i also know that there is not a teacher on the planet that i know of who's ever going to not take an interest in a student that takes an interest in them if you're if you're sincere and you really want to learn and this goes with whether you're asking for a recommendation or just extra help or you know can you clarify something i haven't met a teacher yet who's not willing to help absolutely um i think that that is a great lesson for all the way starting in middle school to advocate for yourself because they need to learn how to use their voices. And the sooner they start learning that, I think the the more comfortable that they will get with it. And um, so thanks for that reminder. I think boys, it seems to be a little bit more difficult for them they they are a little bit quieter uh maybe that's just my boys but it seems like a lot of other boys i know are a little quiet but you have given us like a lot of great information so i just wanted to know um as an entrepreneur on this path, I know you said that your your um, brother suggested that you should do this, but anytime you're stepping out there and you're kind of forging your own path as an entrepreneur, on this show, I talk a lot about limiting beliefs. There's some limiting beliefs that come up. So I would love to hear what limiting beliefs came up for you and how you overcame them. <laughs> so 
This is actually the second entrepreneurial venture that I've done in life. Um, when I was in college, uh, a friend of mine and I had a t-shirt business way back when. <laughs> um, and he was the creative talent and I was the uh, project management talent. Although at 18, I didn't know that's what that was at that time. <laughs> now I know Now I know there's a name for it. Um, when I started this business, so I have a background in engineering. I graduated from Cornell University many, many moons ago with two degrees in engineering, um, undergrad and a master's, and then immediately started a, a career in engineering, um, which is now 20 something years old. And over that time, you know, I built up a lot of skills in terms of, you know, figuring out how to propose do proposals and figuring out how to attract business and then execute on the business. And I'm a planner by nature. My husband will tell you that there's a spread. I have a meta spreadsheet yet that I haven't loved. Um, <laughs> if you take away Excel, I might die. Um, <laughs> so with this business, um, because I understand the value of having a business plan and being very prepared, I knew that if I went through all those steps, I still wouldn't be in business. So I literally after three years in said, okay, that's it. I'm doing this as a business and went out on the Maryland website and just registered my LLC and said, let's go for this. And it's completely against type. Talk about limiting beliefs. Mm -hmm. um, it's completely against type. It was a leap of faith and I'm still learning every day, right? There are still things that I'm doing to improve the way I engage with my clients. There's software that I'm looking at. There's processes that I'm I'm kind of fixing or because every every application season I learn something new or mm -hmm. I say, huh, there's something I could do better. Let's let's look into that. Right. So it's been a it's been a real explorative journey trying to not over plan and just mm. do right because mm -hmm. I have all these thoughts and if I let myself I will sit down and plan this gigantic thing for the next 10 years and then be kind of lost as to where to start but it's beautiful so that's been my personal challenge just keeping going keeping focused on what's what needs to happen this week you know next week next month instead of five years from now Right, right. And it, it sounds like not to get into analysis paralysis, where you are planning and analyzing and to just do. So that's great. And it sounds like your passion for what you do really helped you get over that to just kind of and your faith also helped you to just kind of leap and start doing. It definitely has. Like, like I said before, every time I think, oh, my gosh, this application season just took it out of me. Baby, I need a break. Like something comes along and guys like, nope, we're not done with you yet. Here's something else for you to do. Or did you think about this? And I'm like, oh, that's a really good idea. I should go do that. <laughs> um, and, you know, when you listen, because I'm a hard headed person, when you listen um, and you sit and you and you hear the voice and you actually act on it good things happen to you. Blessings come, t blessings come your way. It just, for me, it takes me a while to actually act on the voice. And sometimes it's, it's weird because sometimes I'll wake up in the middle of the night, like somebody has been talking to me. I'm like, okay, I got it. I'm going to do something <laughs> about it. <laughs> and see, it's, it's, it's great because God knows how to communicate with each of his children. So he knows he needs to keep talking to you and keep talking to you and keep talking to you until you're finally like, okay, okay. It's, it's, and some people just need that one word and they're like, Ooh, okay, <laughs> I better do this. So, so that, that's awesome. So I'm so glad that you listened because we all get to benefit from that. 
Now, some of us, like I mentioned earlier, need more specialized advice and resources and would like to sign up with you. Um, so what specific services do you offer? Do you have packages? I know you said you like to start working with sophomores, but you also work with juniors. So tell me a little bit more about how your business is set up and, and what services you offer. Sure. So I do offer both comprehensive and hourly packages. Comprehensive packages start in your sophomore year or your junior year and include college exploration, major exploration. So we talk about what's the tie between your um, your intended career path and your major. Um, we spend a lot of time building that right college list. So in your sophomore year, we're helping you dream with focus, right? In your um, senior year, I'm sorry, in your junior year, we're helping you actually do your college list because even if we're in a virtual environment, you still need to virtually visit these schools to figure out whether you really want to apply because uh-huh. these application fees aren't cheap. <laughs> so we don't want to cast the net too wide. Um, again, we want to find schools that fit you academically, socially, and financially. Um, I do work with parents to help them understand how to leverage those financial tools so that they can start planning. And I do broker conversations between them and their students to start building this list because I really want to, I want the parents, my role is to help make this process less stressful and to also educate you about your options, right? And the less stress piece comes in with our ability to understand your students' needs and find things that fit them and then speak with you about, hey, this is, this is where your kid wants to go and why, this is what they're thinking. What do you think? And brokering mm-hmm. that conversation. Usually that doesn't happen until right before senior year. And that's when you end up with lists that are kind of wildly um, out of balance. So mm-hmm. you're applying to 20 schools. That's a little bit too much. <laughs> right. Um, or you're applying to schools that are all private colleges. Well, have you researched you know, the admissions rates there, don't you want a mix of schools that you're kind of likely to get into um, or have a better chance to get into? That's, those are the types of conversations we have over sophomore and junior year. And that's a big time investment. Um, I meet with my students through sophomore and junior year twice a month. Come senior year, we're up to once a week. So we're investing a lot of time. You can come to me as a junior or a senior. Juniors, I like to start no later than Um, March of their junior year. Uh, Honestly, March is a little late. I prefer the beginning of their junior year, but no later than March. Um, And the reason for that is usually when juniors come to me, they have kind of an inkling of what they want, but they haven't really put together their college list. And again, that takes time. So now we've just shortened the window of how much time we have to do that. Mm -hmm. Seniors that come to me as seniors need to come with their list already done. We'll do a quick review to make sure it makes sense um, because what we don't want you to do is have, you know, only two years of a foreign language at a college that recommends or requires four, for example. Right. Right. So we're going to review those types of things to make sure that it makes sense. But all of the other preparatory work that I've done with my sophomores and juniors, you really doesn't get done senior year because we're in the thick of it. We got to get going. So if you come to me as a senior, we are focused really on getting your applications done. We'll set a strategy, but all that pre-work that we've done, that's the value mm-hmm. right there. Right, right. That makes a lot of sense. So my final question before you give us all of your information about how we can reach you is if you only had 
three pieces of advice that you could give about college applications and college admissions, what would those three things be? First is there's a college for everyone. There are thousands of institutions of higher learning in this country, not including community college, but if you include community college, a lot more um, in terms of, of options. The name schools that you hear about all the time are awesome, but there's equally awesome schools that I guarantee you've never heard of, mm. which brings me to number two, research and prepare. College admissions is something that there's a lot of literature on. There's a lot of resources out there that can help start you down the path of kind of figuring out what schools do fit you academically, socially, and financially, but it's going to take work on your behalf. So invest the time to do, um, to do that research. And then this third thing is, you know, there's so much stress associated with college admissions because a lot of people feel like if they don't go to a school that has a big name, they're not going to be successful. And that is just absolutely not true. There are so many people who have graduated from universities, again, that you've never heard of that go on to do fabulous things. Don't put the pressure on yourself to, oh, if I don't get into Harvard, I'm no good. That's, that is the complete wrong way to think about it. Don't, don't think about admissions or, I'm sorry, going to college as, you know, a brand per se. Think of it as you're making an investment in yourself. Your parents are investing in you. What do you want to do with that investment? Where are you going to thrive? Because the worst thing you can do is start at a university and realize that it's not a good fit and then struggle to transfer or mm -hmm. worse, you know, withdraw altogether and then give up. Don't don't be so bought into the name of a school that you overlook a gem that might be awesome for you. Mm -hmm. OK, now I know I said that that was my final question, but <laughs> <laughs> OK, so I um I love historically black colleges and universities. I went to Duke for undergrad, like I said, but I went to Howard for medical school. And the people that I have met who went to HBCUs for undergrad have some amazing skills. Not only are they academically prepared, but their level of self-awareness and self-confidence in their network is also amazing. And I sometimes wish that I had flipped it, that I had gone to um, Howard for undergrad and Duke for medical school. Mm -hmm. So what are your thoughts for our African-American uh, African children on HBCUs? And do you see a preference for them? I, I feel a little bit of a preference. So I just want to get your <laughs> ideas. <laughs> so HBCUs are wonderful. HBCUs exist to prepare our students in a way to engage the world that is difficult to find anywhere else. And each HBCU has its distinct personality. Hampton versus Howard, anybody? Mm. Um, <laughs> so, you know, everybody, each one has its distinct personality. Each one has its distinct culture. Um, there are some that have distinguished themselves in terms of uh, programs for STEM and engineering and the biological sciences um, like Xavier and Morgan State and a and mm -hmm. um, Morgan also has, they're building a medical school, which is awesome. Mm, that you is know? awesome. <laughs> which is completely awesome. The, the 
the difference really comes down to as a student, right? What kind of environment are you going to be most comfortable in? And there are distinct reasons sometimes for choosing to go to an HBCU from a social fit um, that may not be immediately obvious when you are starting your college search. Um, and those are perfectly legitimate reasons. Um, there are some folks who might get hung up on, you know, just an apples to apples comparison of, oh, well, look at that graduation rate and look at that graduation rate. HBCUs exist um, to not only educate us, but to help us succeed. And in doing that, they provide a lot more services for students who need it than mm -hmm. would otherwise be available. And sometimes that's reflective in graduation rates. Remember I was saying right. earlier that if you're on scholarship and you don't get that GPA, your scholarship is gone, right? And that mm -hmm. means you probably aren't coming back for a while till you, you get yourself back together until you remediate that. So there's a lot that goes into that, but the quality of the education you get it as an HBCU is phenomenal. Mm -hmm. It is phenomenal. And the good news from an HBCU perspective is that they come in both flavors, both private and public, right? Mm -hmm. If you're in Maryland, UMES, Morgan State, Coppin State, those are all state universities. You're paying in-state tuition if you're in Maryland. Even if you're out of state, it's still a value. And these, like I said, you know, Morgan has one of the best business programs um, in the state. They're building a medical school. They're coming up in, in STEM and engineering. There's, there's nothing that these schools don't offer that's not comparable to other places that you can go. Yeah. Okay, we're on the same page with that. So how can people reach out to you if they want to um, invest in your services or if they just want to follow you? Maybe they have a sixth grader, but they want to follow along and see what you're doing as they prepare to invest. So you can find me on my website thecollegeappspecialist.com. You can also email me at the same email, thecollegeappspecialist at gmail.com. I'm also on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. You'll find me and as variations on there because LinkedIn and Instagram. But if you go to my website, you can link to all of my social media. I post every day at 8 a.m. <laughs> Thank you, Hootsuite. Um, <laughs> but I post every day at 8 a.m. And what I do, what I try and do is post information that's both provocative and useful so sometimes i'll ask you questions like today's question was you know if if you take ap classes and you pass the exam do you automatically get college credit the answer is false mm. um uh -huh. <laughs> you know most people don't most people don't know that so there are a little bit of tidbits there are a little bit of information and um there's a little bit of fun Wonderful, wonderful. I will now be looking out for those 8 a.m. posts now that I know that's when they come out. And thank you so much for spending time with us. This has been a wonderful conversation and you alleviated some stress from me. So, you know, you get kudos for that. I'm so glad if I have not released a family stress and I have not done my job. So. <laughs> Thanks for conquering those limiting beliefs on another episode of the SOAR podcast. If you want to reach out to my guests, just check out the show notes and all of the contact information is there. If you want more information about Stephanie Brown coaching, go to www.stephaniebrowncoaching.com. And I'm sure you're already following the SOAR podcast Instagram page. But if not, just go to IG and type in sisters overcoming and rising. All one word. Goodbye for now. 